it's hard to keep track because every school seems to be a little different, you know, and so it's hard to get one clear answer, but we're in this place where a lot of schools went to pass fail or the work was optional or someplace required. My feeling is that colleges are going to be very open-minded about that. And to a certain extent may just sort of scrap what they're seeing from the end of the year because of the, the, the differences. But we're also seeing a ton of schools at last count that I saw over 50% of the schools in the country have gone to test optional for the next year. So for the next round of admissions, a lot of universities are not going to require the SAT or ACT, um, which I think a lot of people are cheering. There's been a trend in that direction anyway. And I think a lot of people do see those tests as sort of functioning as, as you point out, like a gatekeeper and maybe in a negative way. There are a lot of equity concerns about how rich kids and poor kids doing these tests, how white kids or black kids or what, like there's a lot of concerns about equity in universities that one way or another reaches back to the testing. How do you see things changing with tests being optional now, regardless of whether your school is pass fail or not, we now have to navigate this situation without the traditional use of a standardized test. How do you see this playing out? So in one sense, it's, it's a change, but in, in another, it really doesn't change that much. College ad- admissions at the, you know, especially at the more selective colleges is a holistic process and it's really a character-based process. And so thinking about character strengths and all the different ways that those manifest themselves, you know, in students' lives and in their application, I feel that it's really not that different to evaluate somebody without their test scores. I can do a really good job through reading letters of recommendation if teachers have enough bandwidth to really get to know their students and write on their behalf, which is definitely an equity issue um, because some schools have much more resources to do that than others for sure. Um, But I think letters of recommendation have always been one of the um, most important parts of a college application. You know this because I'm sure you write lots of letters uh, each year. I write way too many. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, I'd like to hear your, your thoughts on this, but as you know, there's 16 different um, character strengths that the letter of recommendation form asks teachers to evaluate their students on a relative basis, you know, here on whether it's quality of writing or creativity or curiosity, empathy, so forth, right? Is this one of the students who's in the top 10% of my class in this area? All the way to, you know, is this one of the students that is the best I've ever seen in my career? And that is such a powerful uh, evaluation tool or I think, and I think it's something that's really frustrating for a lot of students and families who have that 4.0 and maybe, let's say a 1550 on the SAT and they're, you know, they're bumping up against, why can't I go to any school that I want to? And, you know, I think, again, it's very frustrating because you don't get to see what's in those letters. And often if you're sort of going for those grades and focused on those test scores, that's usually not what inspires people. You could tell me uh, in terms of your own letter writing, but typically the student who is really interested in thinking deeply about King Lear that you just taught them or improving their their writing um, and coming to you and saying, 
you know, it's not because I, I want to get a better grade, but I'm really interested in how I can, can do this better. Maybe I, could I redo it for you? Cause I just want to, you know, I just want to get better and learn more. That's what inspires people. And that's really what the colleges are looking for. And so I think like what you were saying, the great inflation, you know, that doesn't, yeah, there's a lot of research out there, right. That says nothing is more important to college success than, than grades. And I think there's a lot to that, but in terms of differentiating, um, especially amongst the top students who are applying to some of the more selective schools, the grades just aren't going to get there. Yeah. It, it, there's only, there's only so much you can do. And, and, this might be a little bit of a cop-out, but I, I do tell students that they have to remember that in this process, if you get into a school or don't get into a school, you can't take any of it too personally. That there's so, you know, you have schools that at this point, you know, you have your your quote-unquote top-tier schools that have admissions acceptance rates of, you know, three, four, five, six percent, you know, and they're getting, they're, they're getting exponentially more applications than they got 50 years ago, you know, and we, we have more people going to schools, but we don't necessarily have that many more schools. And so it, this whole thing has gotten tricky. And so I tell them, you know, if you get into a school, that's great and you should feel good about it. But remember that you getting in maybe involved just as much luck as someone else not getting in. And, and I try, I try to sort of prepare them for that and not to say that's always true, um, but again, you got to think, as you point out, holistically. And so it's hard to go back and say, well, it was that one class or it was that one thing. And it, it very rarely is that one thing unless you have a measurable that is just completely outside of their range of, of what they're looking at. Like if you get yourself in the competitive range, it's usually not just one thing. For me, I take the letters very seriously. And I, I have mixed feelings about it because I know that some schools do look at like for the common app, the teacher evaluation section, you know, check off top 10%, top 5%, uh, you know, one of the best ever, et cetera. I, I think a lot of schools look at that. I have read and, and I don't know school to school how true this is, but that a lot of schools have to a certain degree downplayed the actual letter just because the belief is that a lot of teachers either send in sort of a form letter or that you can always find someone who will write a letter on your behalf. That's not what I've heard necessarily about the more selective schools, but a lot of big state schools do not necessarily read all of those letters. Um, if you're in that last round of maybe, maybe not, like are you in or are you waitlisted, the letters maybe come back into play there. For me personally, I just, I think it is important or at least it should be. And so I actually have a little process. I have a little info form that I have every kid fill out who wants a letter. You turn it in by a deadline and then I look at all of them at once. And I say, well, here's how much time I have over the next month. And I usually shoot for 20, about 20, 25 letters. But as a junior English teacher, I'm the English teacher they've had most recently. I've, we do a ton of discussion in class. I've read their writing. So even if we're not best buddies, in the end, I have a, a better understanding of the student's character and personality than maybe, say, their math teacher would, just on average by the nature of the job. And so I, I try to do 25, but I actually have all the kids do the form so that in the end, I pick the, the 25 kids who I think are most deserving of the help. And that's not based on the grade they got in class. That's just who do I think like I feel good about recommending to whatever. And because otherwise it's just in my nature to want to help them. And so before I started doing the forum several years ago, I just kept saying yes. And then yes. And then all of a sudden I'm like, man, I got to write 36 letters in three weeks. It like, I can't do a good job of this. And if, you know, where I'm at, you know, if everybody applies to university of Virginia or James Madison or Virginia tech, 
my letters at some point have to look less valuable because it looks like I'm just handing them to anybody. Um, so I, I try, I try to take it seriously. And I, I tell the students, it's actually something that I, I just told students through a, a recorded presentation I did for them is that because the standardized tests are going to be used less or, in, you know, or at least used differently, you know, um, I said that maybe this year more than ever, your essays and your letters of recommendation really matter. I mean, they always matter, but now more than ever, because the kid who used to rely on the measurables to get them in isn't necessarily going to have the same advantage. Like the 1550 on your SATs is great, but the 1550 doesn't mean the same thing when you have kids with the same GPA applying who don't have a test score. You know what I mean? And so I, I've really been talking up, this is the year when you really got to get the right teachers to write those recommendations. You need to take the time to do your essays well. And if you're applying to a school with an interview, this is not the time to wing it. Like you should do a couple practice interviews and be ready because to your point, when you try to do this holistically, you want as many factors as you can. And now as we're going to see students not having test scores or not submitting test scores, it removes one piece of that puzzle. And so that means that we have to go somewhere else. Like for, for example, um, us, I think it's us news just announced that for next year, for the year after when they do their college rankings, they're going to remove average SAT and ACT scores from the equation. And it's like seven or 8% of their normal ranking. So does that mean that Yale isn't going to be number one? Like you have Yale, Harvard, Princeton are always, you know, top three, top four. Do we really think that that's going to change because they're not going to count the SAT stuff? Like, I, th I think they're just going to put more value on how selective the school is. And you're going to say, Oh, look, they only took 3%, keep them at the top. And that's misleading. But you know, it, we're, we evaluate schools in some of the same ways we evaluate students. And I don't know, I, I don't think they're great measurements, but everybody's got to rethink this now a lot because it's going to change the student in the eyes of the school a little bit. And it may change the school in the eyes of the public. If universities aren't careful how they handle these changes. I mean, is that, is that fair? Yeah. The, I think the, the rankings are fraught with problematics for, for sure. The, um, as you said, removing the scores, I don't think is going to change a, a lot, especially at the top there, right? Because the selectivity will be there. And they may also expand um, the weight given to the endowment. <laughs> and so that's, I think that's going to keep some of the, the same schools towards the top there. Might there be some, some interesting shift in the middle? I think there definitely could be and potentially for the better. Yeah. I mean, I, it, I just think that sometimes there, the statistics are misleading. And, and like I said, when I was applying to school, I was looking at, what's the best college? And I'm looking at a list like that. And now you think, you know, hey, they're going to be working with different data. Is your advice changing for students as we go to test optional, as schools are going to test optional? You know, for most of our students, we, if they have the opportunity to take the tests, I think most of them um, still will and, and should. I think we've always encouraged our students to approach the tests in a way where they're one piece of the puzzle and not something that we want to overly focus on, but say, okay, in the context of everything I'm doing, I'm going, you know, I'm going to prepare and I'm going to try and do my best. But the, the students who grind on the tests and take this, take the test, um, you know, many times, that's just not, it's going to take away from what they're doing elsewhere. And it's also, it's indicative of the kind of student and person 
And that's not what the colleges are looking for. So it's always great to speak with another English teacher. You know the the Dickens character, Grad Grind? Oh, geez. No. no. I mean, yes, well, I've heard the well, name. I haven't read Dickens since I was in high school. So you refresh yeah, yeah. my memory. <laughs> no. So you know how Dickens tends to name his characters in a way that is sort of descriptive of their, their personalities and so forth. And so Grad Grind was actually, I, I think he was a school superintendent of a sort, but it was very focused on the numbers and just hammering, hammering out on those numbers. And it's a, it's a character and a, a metaphor that has always stuck with me and something that I always mention to students and really ingrain over time, which is that just those, those numbers are just not what inspires. Um, it's not what inspires um, application readers. And it's not, it's not really what's going to inspire other people in, in life. It's going to be those, those character strengths that you really um, nurture. And so are you kind? Are you empathetic? Do you have an intrinsic love of learning? Those are the things that are going to take them so much further. You know, one of the, one of the things we always sort of ask at the beginning of, of meeting a student is, tell me about some of the activities that you do that you really enjoy. And, you know, if we got into a conversation, we're not going to do it right now, but if we did, is this something you think we could have a conversation about for an hour? Sometimes they say yes, but some... Sometimes it's quickly apparent that that conversation would last about five minutes. And so we say, that's, that's fine right now. Our goal is to go, you know, get to a significant level of, of depth in this area to which that, you know, that would not only be possible, but it would be a pleasure. And, you know, the, the people that you're talking about would, would see and hear your passion. And that's really you know, when, it, when admission, you talk about admission to selective colleges, it comes through in so many ways. In the letters, you were just mentioning, we could talk more about it, but definitely in the essays that students write, and definitely if they have an opportunity for an, for an interview. It's almost like the difference between, um, do you play golf at all, Ryan? I, I do, well, not since I've had my most recent child, but yeah, I actually, I, I used to play a lot. <laughs> but, I coached and all that, yeah. That was kind of a non sequitur, but you know, the difference between somebody on the, the PGA tour and a top amateur, they, the score is the same potentially, but the difference is a, this massive gap. And I think oftentimes that's what we see in, in college applications is, um, you know, a really wide gap of, between the students and you know, we look at that, we look at that admission rate, you know, say 5%, 6%, whatever it, it may be. But there's some students in that, you know, in that group that had a 50%, 60% chance. And then there's a lot of students who had a 1% and it's that aggregate. So we always look at, you know, the individual student and we try to, you know, assess what's going to be, you know, what the probabilities are but also, you know, in building that student's list, think about, okay, how do we, we talk about re-ranking schools. How do we re-rank them, you know, in the context of, of you, who you are, how you learn, um, what you, you know, what your goals are. And, um, you know, it's, 
it's a process over time, but it's one that usually works really well. And I think, you know, most of our students are very successful in that process because they, you know, they really kind of at, at a certain point, they get it. So the earlier they start thinking in terms of who they are and what they really want in educationally and in life, I think the better off they will be um, both, you know, in choosing a college and being admitted to their, their top, what ultimately turns out to be their top choices. So for a lot of students who come in the senior and junior years to, to thinking about this, I think there's a lot that they can do to position themselves well, definitely, definitely reflecting and articulating a narrative for, about themselves in multiple aspects that tell, tell their story in a compelling way. But a lot of times the story has been written up to that point, so to speak. And so thinking about the things earlier and how they're, you know, how they're going to manifest as they move through high school can be really, really powerful. You know, we talked about those 16 elements of, on the letter of recommendation form. We typically have our students print that out and tape it to the inside of their binders and, you know, look at that every day and, and see those things and remind themselves, this is what, this is what really matters, right? And I think that that makes a difference when they, they take one and they say, okay, this is what I'm working on. What, what does it mean to be a leader? What is my leadership style? What do I, what do I think about um, good leadership? And it's, it's that person that becomes really attractive in the college admissions process. I think a lot of people say, well, you know, I need more, I need more leadership. Should I be, should I found this club? Do I need to be president of, of this? You know, I'm not captain of, of the team. Is this going to be a, an issue. And it's like, well, the teams you're on, you know, when you get together in, in Ryan's English class, (laughs) um, in a small group, how do you lead that? How do you lead in that group? Are you encouraging the discussion of others contributing your ideas and that that's leadership? Yeah. I'm eating all this up. Like I love it. And I I give a lot of the same advice, but I think that as a school system, and I, I, I mean that big sense, like culturally, nationally, whatever, we're a little over-focused on not just measurables, but like recordables. And so I think that we do a very good job in some cases, uh, particularly in stronger school systems or, or maybe not even strong, just in wealthier areas. I think we do a really good job of creating resumes and applicants, but I don't know that we are always as focused on creating better people. Like my job as a teacher is to help you read, think, write, and speak better. Like that's my specific job. But a big part of that comes with building character. Like a lot of my English class is focused on uh, justice. We do a lot of moral philosophy. We've done it for years. That's we start there and then we can read anything for the rest of the year and I can get you to argue about it, you know? And in the end, you're not just a better reader or writer or speaker. You're a better thinker and a better person. Even if I disagree with you, We've developed something about you as a person that will last because at the end of the year, when you take your standardized test for reading or for writing, that score only matters in this instant. Yes, check the box. You can graduate. Check the box. You know, I keep my job or, you know, whatever it is. But th- sometimes we, we get so worried about the, the short-term goals or, or getting it all on paper that 
we forget the purpose of education. Like that's an abuse of school, I think. And, and we do it a lot. 